Right, okay, let's have a look into the Bible, into Luke chapter 10, on page 1042. 1042. Uh, and uh, as uh, you turn that up, let's just uh, remember, I'll be reminded that we're continuing our, our learning together about Jesus from Luke's Gospel. Uh, we're in chapter 10 now. Uh, next week it's Christmas, and we'll, but we'll be back in Luke again in the new year. We're in the second half of Luke's Gospel, where, as we've been thinking, Jesus is on the road with his disciples. It's a kind of the ultimate road trip, in a way. Uh, and, and Luke structures his material uh, around this kind of journey uh, which is going towards Jerusalem and what Jesus is going to do there, as we have seen. Uh, and, and we're at a stage where the disciples have, have come to a point where they really know who Jesus is. Uh, and they're, they're beginning to see now what it means to be really committed to him. And on this road trip there, uh, which is probably Luke's put material in from different places and constructed it around the idea of the, the kind of metaphorical place, you know, the way where Jesus is going to ultimately... They're learning lots of stuff about what following him is going to mean for those disciples. Last time, do you remember they'd been sent on a mission with others as well? There were at least 72 of them, and they've come back full of joy. And we thought last week, as Lou uh, led us in that study, how Jesus was full of joy. And we saw that that joy came from the fact that these followers are getting to know God Again, to know God through Jesus, their, their names are written in heaven. Something kind of really significant is happening and Jesus is overwhelmed with joy, as indeed they are too. And through this part of the book, it's not so much about the crowds now, it's about the disciples as Jesus leads them forward. So that's the focus, Jesus and his disciples. Although other people do come into the story, other people come into the account. Uh, Sometimes these are people with criticisms. So they're religious people or the authorities because all the time as Jesus goes towards Jerusalem, the the hostility against him is growing. Uh, And Luke is explaining how that's happening and and where that's coming from. And this is what's happening in today's passage. It's a conversation with one of those religious class people. You know, there was like a whole religious class in, in Israel as, as, as there are in some kind of very religious societies today. And one of these religious people, professional religious types, is in conversation with Jesus. And this man, we, we read, is an expert in the law. That doesn't mean, you know, he, he worked with judges and juries, but he's talking about the Old Testament law. He was a religious law expert. He knew all about it. He probably knew Genesis to Deuteronomy, Genesis, Levit- no, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books of the Old Testament, off by heart, at least. Now, before we get into it, think about the world today. See, most people in the world today, and actually possibly secretly, in the West too, are very God-aware. They're aware that God is there somewhere, particularly when, you know, we're in a bit of a fix. Go to the majority world, you'll find that talking about God is fine, it's okay. Everyone does it. And, And even in secular places in today's world, actually, people pray. Uh, I heard of an article in Newsweek about Americans uh, which discovered that statistically prayer is more popular than sex with Americans. 
I don't know what that tells us about either their prayer life or their sex life. But anyway, you know, that was the, the kind of idea. More Americans were admitting to praying every day. In fact, people who were atheists and agnostics, didn't go to church at all, had given up on the whole thing, were praying still, admitted to praying. Once, you see, we admit that there may be a God, or we begin to realise that there is one, we get the question in our heads that everyone else in the world is asking. And what is that question? Well, that question is, okay, well, if there's a God, how can I be okay with him? If there's more to life than just, you know, what's around us, how do I get that? Or as this lawyer puts it, how can I inherit eternal life? And all kinds of options are available in the world. You don't have to Google and, you know, do some... All kinds of wacky, weird, and amazing stuff is out there. People have got ideas. And, uh, and then, of course, there's the mainstream religions as well. So here's Jesus then, with somebody who's come to him with this question that actually a lot of people deep down in their hearts are thinking, well, if there is a God, well, how do I, how do I get with him? How can I be okay with him in the end? Well, let's read the first few verses, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. So this expert in the Old Testament law, it says here, Luke says, stands up, stood up and asked Jesus a question. So Jesus is probably teaching a group of people or he's talking to a bunch of people and they're sitting down and and at some point up pops the the religious expert, the kind of mullah, if you like, in his society. Someone who knew uh, the law of of God really, really well. And asked this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And and the Jews at that time, like many people today, probably in a Muslim culture or a a Hindu culture, you ask that question, you think, the rest of the people say, hmm, yeah, you know, how can I be okay with God in the end, says uh, the, the lawyer. Everyone must have thought, mm, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's a good question. wonder what Jesus is going to say. And maybe we could join in with that as well. If I'm right about that secret question, if God is there, how can I be kind of in the right place with him and be sure about it? It's not a bad question. But this guy, he's a little bit cheeky, isn't he? Did you notice that? Why does he ask the question? Uh, well, that, it is um, verse 25, to test Jesus. So what's that about then? Well, he may have been just playing around with ideas or he could be using, he could be using Jesus to, to make himself look good. You know, that's possible. You know, he, he could be actually trying to discredit Jesus, to, to try and catch him out and, or build a case against him. That's what some of the religious classes were doing, we read as Luke goes on. We don't know, but he did it to test him. 
We can approach Jesus with many different motives, can't we? We can be just playing with ideas, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. Go to Christianity and explore that. It might be true, might not, you know, play around with some ideas. Or some of us maybe are just all about, well, wanting to get something out of it for ourselves. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think it, maybe some of us, I don't know, might want to try and build a case against Jesus. It has been known, but... um, but the interesting thing is, Jesus is not kind of phased by that at all, is he? He's not then, and he isn't now. But the thing is this. Are we prepared for what Jesus might say in answer to that question? See, it might not be that comfortable, the reply, as this man was going to find out. It's going to be marvellous, but it's never going to be comfortable. Perhaps you've noticed that about following Jesus. So Jesus comes right back to him then and says, look, okay, look, you're the expert in the law of God. What do you think? And the man sums up two statements from Deuteronomy and from Leviticus. He says, well, it's all summed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor just like you love yourself. It's a great summary In fact, Jesus used that summary himself on another occasion. And it it almost certainly wasn't that Jesus coined that that summary. Uh, The rabbis at the time, that's the kind of thing that they were saying. They kind of worked it out that if you boil it all down to one thing, that sums up the law, sums up God's kind of way of uh, of us, us kind of getting in the right place with him if we go down that route. That's right, says Jesus. You do that and you'll be okay. Just do that then. Well, is that the end of it? Well, look how the man reacts in verse 29. See what it says there? But, this is the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? It's not going that well for the man, is it, really? He can't kind of leave it, that statement, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbour just like you love yourself. You know, pause. Go and do that. The man, you know, he's just very uncomfortable with that. He's not going to let that hang there. He's got to get away from that. He wants to justify himself. He's feeling uncomfortable. So he comes back with another question. All right then, well, who is my neighbour? Oh, let's think about this. Why do you think he wants to get away from this statement? You know, what was wrong with it? He, it seems like you know, he, Jesus got the statement from him, said, okay, well, you know, just do that. Uh, and, and yet the guy wants to kind of get off the bus right there. <laughs> That's enough of me. We're, we're, we're quick, let's change the subject. PDQ. Because Jesus Jesus has got the man to say, this is what the main thing is. Loving God and loving other people. And it makes him uncomfortable. And you know, sometimes I think it makes us uncomfortable. Especially when it's Jesus that says it. Now, why is that? Is it because of that little word, all, (laughs) that appears four times? All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Is that what makes it a bit uncomfortable? I think maybe it is. You know, we want to keep something back, don't we? 
It's only reasonable. We want to set limits. Yeah, abandoning ourselves completely in love for God and love for other people. Are you serious? <laughs> we just don't want to do that, do we? Well, this man didn't. So he'd rather talk about... Uh, sorry, he'd, so rather than talking about doing love for God and doing love for other people, he would rather talk about who his neighbour might be if he ever maybe got round to doing it. One step away. And maybe we're the same. Get away from this big talk, this total claim, this, you know, <laughs> give God everything or love God with everything and love other people like you love yourself. It's just too much for us. Well, maybe to the uh, great relief of the lawyer and perhaps everyone else sitting around and getting a little bit uncomfortable, Jesus starts off doing what everybody loved, telling them a story. You just imagine the guy, whew, you know, that, that was a tricky moment. Let's see what's going to happen now. And out comes the most famous story Jesus ever told. It's in verse 30. Let's read it, 30 to 37. This is Jesus' answer to this question, who is my neighbor? We'll come back to that in a minute. Is it the answer to that question, or is it another answer? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. So to a Levite, sorry, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took, out, uh, took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus tells them a story about a man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know anything about this man at all. In fact, when we meet him, he wouldn't be, we wouldn't know anything about him. We wouldn't know his job, what, what he was kind of like, whether he was a rich man, a poor man, because he was basically naked with nothing, um, just a pile of bleeding kind of uh, flesh in the, in, in the by the side of the road. And when these people, uh, he, Jesus starts off talking about the man. Now there's a certain man, he's on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the crowd would have gone, woohoo, because that was a tough road. Everyone knew that. It was a dangerous road. It was a desert road. It was a, a really rocky road. It was steep. There were gorges down there. And you didn't want to be going down that road alone. You know, it's... Uh, some, some of us who've been in other parts of the world will know that, you know, travelling uh, all on your own in some places is not a particularly good idea. And, uh, you know, this is one of those places. So everyone have thought, whoa, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. He's robbed, he gets into trouble, 
He's robbed, he's left for dead, naked, all his possessions are gone. And there he is lying there when another traveller comes down the road. A priest heading the same way. Someone who's probably been uh, working in the temple, going down towards Jericho, where he may have lived or whatever, we don't know. But he see, this, this, this priest goes along, he sees uh, the shape of the person, he, he doesn't get too close. He realises what's happened, he doesn't stop, he goes right by on the other side. That's where that famous kind of phrase comes from that we use in our, our language. To go by on the other side means to just give the guy a wide berth. And the reason I suppose he does that is because if he stays far enough away from him, if the bloke is still alive and, and is going to say, help, or can you help me? Then, you know, if you're on the other side of the road, you're not going to hear him. You know, he's got his iPod on or whatever. He's going to get down there, get out of the way fast. So we don't know why. He could have been worried about getting defiled. He could have probably more likely been frightened that the robbers were still around and he might be next to to be attacked, but whatever the reason, he carries on. Then comes a Levite, who, who kind of in the, in the religious uh, league division was the, the next one down. He was like an assistant priest. Uh, he sees the man, he goes a little bit nearer, the text tells us, but makes a decision finally to say, oh, no, no, I'm not here, I'm out of here. So he too goes off on the other side. The people you think would be absolutely expert in loving God and loving their neighbour because they knew what, that, you know, what God wanted, you'd think those people would have been the best, but actually they were rubbish. They didn't do it. They weren't rubbish people. They were probably lovely people, but they acted in a rubbish way. And then comes a third person. He's on a donkey. You might hear the clip-clopping of the donkey before he comes around the, the corner. And who is it? Now, the crowd would have expected probably it to be a Jewish citizen, you know, a lay person. And, and the, the great point coming is that, you know, you know, you can't trust clerics and, you know, full-time Christian workers, people like me, you know, we're a waste of space, you know, but real people can be much more be, you know, compassionate than, than the so-called professionals. That's probably what they were expecting. But it's not what they got, is it? <coughs> Excuse me. It's a Samaritan. Now the crowd wince. It's like they've just kind of taken a bite of lemon. One of those Samaritans, people they share the land with, very much like a a Palestinian in Israel today, except without the fighting and the rockets. They hated each other, absolutely hated each other. I mean, it's like Jesus telling a bunch of saint supporters that a Portsmouth supporter comes down the road. Or a group of orange men in Northern Ireland. I'm intrigued by what an amazing orange men. I always think of people being tangoed. But, you know, like a group of orange men. Um, that's back at 80s reference. Sorry about that. Uh, that's a group, of, uh, that, a group of orange men, you know, strict Protestants in Northern Ireland being told a Republican came by. Or Rangers fans being told a Celtic supporter comes down. You get the idea. This is really not the person they want to see. And this man, this Samaritan, does something amazing. And the crowd wouldn't like this, but Jesus says he goes to where the man is, says Jesus in the story. He sees him. He has pity on him. He gives him first aid, and that means that he bandages his his wounds. Where is he going to get the bandages from? 
probably his own turban or, or you know, his undergarment or, or you know, maybe his, his bedroll or whatever that was, or his donkey thing. He rips that off and, and, and gets it into bandages. He, he gets the oil and the wine. Oil and, and wine, they're not cheap items in, 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 in Palestinian culture at the time. And he uses it to dress the man's wounds. And, and he goes on doesn't stop there. He gives the man the donkey. He gets off his donkey, puts the man on the donkey and, and, and walks the man on the donkey to the, to the inn. That he's, he's probably a regular traveller on the road. He probably knows the innkeeper in the story and so on. And he stays with the man a night. He makes sure he's okay overnight. And in the morning, he, he leaves him with the innkeeper. He gives the innkeeper the equivalent of two to three hundred pounds in our money, in our day, for this man to be looked after. Two days' wages. Get a plaster in your house, was it about a hundred pounds a day or something like that? So, a couple of hundred pounds worth of, of day, uh, average uh, week wages today. And he gives that to the innkeeper. That's actually enough for about three weeks' stay in the inn. Inns were a lot cheaper in those days than they are today, comparatively. But that's, that's what it is. We know that from Roman records and stuff. And then he says, I'm going to come back, make sure you're all right. And then comes the kind of killer question. Who, which of these three men, that says Jesus, that you've just met on this road, was the real neighbour to the man? Which man loved him? And the religious expert can hardly, well, he can't bring himself to say, Mr. Morrison, you know. He, he, he says, well, I suppose the one who showed him mercy. Yes, says Jesus. You go and be like that. Oof. Punch. See what Jesus has done? He hasn't answered the question about who is the neighbour to love at all, has he? <laughs> He's shown us what loving our neighbour really should look like. He's still on the question that the man and us actually want to get away from. And Jesus is not going to let us push that big question away. Who the neighbour is doesn't matter one jot. Anyone in need is the neighbour. If you're going on the way of life, says Jesus, then you love. You love God with everything and you love your neighbour like you love yourself. Just do that, says Jesus. But we're back to where we are. But Jesus, that's uncomfortable. We don't want to do that. Maybe because we just don't know where this kind of love can come from. How can we do that, we might think. Now the religious expert would know the Old Testament. He knew what Hosea had said. In chapter 6. Can we have the first slide up, Bill? Thanks. God says in Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire the acknowledgement of God, not of burnt offerings. God has told us... Yeah, that's okay, thanks. God has told us that um, he wants our hearts. He wants our love. And that matters much more than what we do by religious exercise and so on. Uh, and then on to, to Micah 6, verse 8. Again, God says, what's good? What does the Lord want? Act justly, love mercy. That's that word in this um, Samaritan passage. Maybe the lawyer was already thinking about Micah 6. And walk humbly with your God. Jesus brings us right back to where the man wanted to get off the bus. To love God totally and love your neighbour as yourself. But that old question is still there. Where does this kind of love come from? 
How can I love God and other people like that? These Old Testament verses kind of hint to it, don't they? They they talk about kind of walking with God. Walk humbly with your God. With a heart that is in relationship with him. Now the New Testament says a lot more about this. You know, one of uh, Jesus' disciples, a man called John, John the Apostle, wrote to some of Jesus' followers in a book called 1 John 4, 1 John, and he wrote these words, and, and it's coming up. Oops, sorry, wrong way, that's it. This is from 1 John 4. Uh, as we read it, look out for some key pointers. Look out for the connection between loving God and loving other people. Look out for where this love might come from. Look out for how we can love people in this way. This is what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Where does love come from? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We love because he first loved us. Where does it come from? From God. He makes the first move. He sent his son, his one and only son, as an atoning sacrifice. He dies for us. We'll celebrate that out in a minute. How does it work out in our lives? He's given us of his Holy Spirit, it says. How can we love like this? We love because he first loved us. God lives in the believer and we live in God and that's how we love God with everything and that's how we love our neighbour as ourselves. So the answer to the question, how can I be okay with God? How can I be okay for the future? It hasn't, the answer to that question hasn't changed really much since the Old Testament. It's the same as it always has been. Loving God and loving other people. But thinking about that makes us feel like the man in Luke's Gospel. So Jesus has given us another way. Not to love God and other people to get to God, but because we're loved by God, we know him, we love him, and we love other people. See what Jesus is kind of pointing to. Jesus comes to give us a way to love God with everything and a way to love other people. And his way is not doing a list of religious practices like the lawyer was thinking of, or thinking about who can be our neighbour and who can't be a neighbour, or figuring out how we can really make it by being good and holy enough. Jesus' new way is to love God with everything because he has loved us with everything. To walk with him, to respond to his love for us by loving him and loving other people as he lives in us, with us, by his Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is giving. That's what he's pointing to. Remember what Jesus said to the 72 last week? The Son reveals God. You can read up in the passage above it later if you want. The Son reveals God to people. He brings them into the love he has for the Father. They are blessed, Jesus said. They are full of joy. This is what Jesus does for us. 
as we let go of our agendas, as we let go and turn from our sins, as we let go uh, and say kind of goodbye to our need to hold everything back and give ourselves in response to Jesus. We love him. We love God. And we start loving other people his way as he works in us and we respond to him. Jesus is like the Samaritan in the way he's loved us, isn't he? Did you spot the similarities there? He came to us when we were in a mess. What a mess we were in. And Jesus came to us. He paid for us with his life. He serves us. You know, Jesus said, I've, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a <coughs> ransom for many, Mark 10. And then he invites us to follow him and love others in the way he's loved us. So we love his way. We walk his way with him. And we just get on with loving God with everything and loving our neighbours as ourselves. We don't ask who our neighbours are. We get on with loving God and loving whoever God puts in our path. But as Jesus says, we just need to go and do it, don't we? Be a blessing. Why not randomly bless someone this week? I've got time for a brief story. Have you got a lot to do yet? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, perhaps I'll just very briefly tell a story. Uh, we studied this in a house group in our last church one, one in our house group uh, in Warwick. And um, the next day, I used to, I, I worked, my office where I worked from was mainly in London, but I had an office in a church where I'd sometimes work. And a bloke came to the church with one of these wild stories of, how he was, out, he was on his way out of prison from somewhere to somewhere else and he had no money and blah de blah de blah And, uh, you know, it, it was clearly a con. You could see that, basically. And, um, but uh, it was a, such an elaborate story, for one thing. Uh, but I, I just said to him, well, you know, last night we studied something about loving our neighbour and, and I just felt, I don't usually do that, but I gave him some money and uh, got some money out of the bank and gave it to him. And, and so and I said to him, you're not going to give it me back. Oh, yes, I will. He said, yes, I will. I'll send it back to you. He was sticking with his story. And I, I, I said, uh, I said, I don't care, but I, I'm a Christian and I read this story last night and I don't usually give people money because it's not a particularly good thing to do in some ways. But, but it was just the timing made me smile. You know, we studied it in the evening, on Tuesday evening, and on Wednesday lunchtime there was a bloke at, you know, at the office at the church. And Warwick's only, a, it's only like a big village, there's only about 25,000 people there. So, that, you, know, you, we, you know, I've been there for years, um, and also in Leamington, you know, and, and you don't, it's not like Southampton where you can't hardly walk down the street without someone wanting a bit of money off you. It's very rare in, in the kind of middle England to have that experience. But it was the very day after we studied the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan in our home group. So I'm just warning you, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, it's up between you and the Lord what you do with people who ask you for stuff or how you respond to people's needs. But the thing is, do it, Jesus says. So I suppose the question is, who, who are we going to love like that this week? And we might not know <laughs> till we come across them and make a decision. Are we going to get in there and love them? Or are we going to make up a good reason to go by on the other side? 
May God help us to love him with everything and love our neighbours as ourselves, whoever they are. Amen.